Hello everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Stargate Sundays here on Seven Days to Rock and Stone Guardians. How uh, how you been there, Rye? Uh, pretty tired. Uh, gotta be honest, we're a little thin. We're uh, short-staffed at work by more than what's normal, and it's just like burning the candle at both ends, uh, so just trying to do what I can. Yeah, I know we've missed a we've missed a week or two of uh, episodes only because we've been so busy. Things getting crazy around here. So I mean, you got a new baby, so yeah. So we're gonna try and do as do it as regularly as possible. Um, we've got the Stargate Sundays episode, which is going to be about um, uh, episode fifteen of season one, which is the Singularity, or I think it's just Singularity. Um, it's a really good episode. I, I know you, you said you watched this one, right? Uh, I sure did. Uh, it was a little bit ago, but I definitely watched it. Yeah, I've, I've seen this one a couple of times. Believe it or not, the, uh, character that's introduced in this one, Cassandra, actually comes back. I don't think it's the same actress, though. I'm actually, in fact, I'm fairly certain it's not the same actress. Uh, um, but interestingly enough, this this actress goes in to do quite a few things, um, which we'll find out in a second here. Um, so let's let's start with. Um, the well, before we get into that, I did have uh, a thing I think would be nice to talk about. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Before we get too serious. <laughs> What's about that, Stargate. buddy? Uh, there's a lot of space video games out there. Uh, what's your favorite space video game? My favorite space video game? Yeah, featuring, or, you know, it's in space, or it's about space. Space Invaders? No, that's not it. Space Invaders is good, but it's definitely not that one. Oh, let's see here. I'm going to go with my latest favorite game. Uh, I think I want to say Rogue Squadron. Ooh. I think it's Star Wars-based. Very yeah, cool. That is a good one. Um, now I haven't. Uh, are you talking about the original uh, N64 Rogue Squadron or the? Uh, the I'm new talking. One? I'm sorry. It's called Squadrons, not Rogue Squadron. I just yeah, saw an advertisement Rogue today. Tight. Yeah, I saw an advertisement today for Rogue Squadron. I believe it's going to be a Disney Plus series. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, but that's why that's why I've got that stuck in my head. But no, it's it's Star Wars Squadrons. Uh, that's a fun one to play. A uh, fun one to play with other people would have to be Deep Rock Galactic. Oh yeah, that's a good one for sure. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah? Uh, what's yours there, Ry? Uh, I have to go. Uh, like if I'm doing a single player, uh, they're like a series of games from Amplitude called the endless they're the endless games so uh endless space is one of them oh. i like the second ones endless space 2 isn't there uh, it's, endless legend there is there's endless legend which is more like civ and then this is like uh civ in space ah so it's uh one of those like four time strategy games so you're planning everything out you're building ships you're planning your economy you're building armies you're researching science and you know all that fun stuff uh and like it's you know it's on this grand scale and it's got these really unique 
and well-designed like uh, major factions and minor factions. And it's really, it's really neat. It really like has a, a very otherworldly vibe to it, which is very important for a space game. Yeah. Uh, and then cool. together, I would say, yeah, Deep, Deep Rock's really cool. Yeah, it's Deep Rock is game. one you definitely want to check out if you haven't seen it already. We've been playing it since before it, um, what, since pre? Uh, uh, since it was in early access. Yeah, early access on Steam. We found it during the pandemic, and since we were mostly staying at home, we all bought it and started playing it. And, and the devs are really active too, so yeah, has a lot all of this, support. All this extra free content. They come they have they've decided to switch to a season schedule as of sometime late last year. Uh they're on season two, right? Um I think they're currently on season two, yeah. And I saw and... some extra content on the roadmap for season three where they're going to yep. introduce a new uh enemy, it seems. Yeah, well, they they introduced a whole bunch of new enemies um, on this last update. Yeah, the the second season. So yeah. yeah, they're real active. So that's really nice. There was a uh, a user on the TRG Reddit subreddit that mm-hmm. was talking about how they think that Carl is made up, and the robots are actually being sent by management to make us work faster. <laughs> For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, it's go play the game. You'll get it immediately. Uh, Carl is like their dwarf Jesus, I guess. He died in a mission. um, Do it for Carl. Yeah, leaving no dwarf behind. He saved another dwarf's life, and you know, uh, died in the process. But um, the second season introduced a corporation that's using mainly robots and. They're trying to compete with us in mining for resources and gold and things like that, and we have to take them out, plus do our own jobs at the same time. So uh, it's quite cool. I would try that, uh, try it out, but I hear that there's another um, enemy or another corporation on the on the horizon Ooh. for the next road roadmap update. So I'm excited. Um, yeah, other than that, there's a lot of space games out there. Squadrons is good. My only concern or my only thing is that... Do you remember the Cloud Wars? I think it was on GameCube and the original Xbox or Xbox 360. Mm -hmm. It had that multiplayer game where you could play as all the different battle tank stuff. Like the land vehicles. Yeah. I wish they had mixed that in with Squadrons a little bit. Because those were always so much fun. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like they're very active on development for that one, so maybe it'll be uh, its own thing. I hope so. I can only hope. With all the new content, there's no way they can't hit the video game genre at some point. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, they've got a bunch of stuff coming out for Star Wars, so I'm sure we'll see stuff like that soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm certain. And they don't do video games like they used to. No, no, that's a. Uh... Days of Future Past, right? Yeah, especially with EA at the helm for Star Wars stuff. <laughs> well, let's not get into that graveyard. So yeah, so let's uh, let's back start to up. Stargate. Yeah, let's start up with the Stargate episode. Um, we are looking at season one, episode fifteen, Singularity. 
Uh, the original air date for this episode was October 31st, 1997. Ooh, came out on Halloween. It came out on Halloween. Not a very spooky episode. Um, a bit no, no. dark at the beginning. Uh, and it becomes morally questionable along the way, if you will. Um, so this day in history... Uh, not a whole lot was happening. There was a pretty high-profile case with a Bridget, o- or sorry, not Bridget, a British au pair, um, 19 years old, accused and convicted of killing a baby that they were in charge of. That was the only really high-profile news event that happened. Real dark. I'm sorry, but that's it. Yeah, that's a that's a bummer, bud. Yeah, I really wish we haven't had anything good happen in any of these uh, history events. It's not, it's not a lot of serious, cool stuff. Mostly dark and, and dazed. Well, let's get into video game history. That'll be a little bit better. Because this one had some really, really interesting uh, video games come out. Okay. Uh, okay. First one was The Curse of Monkey Island. Oh, nice. Yeah. All that right. One. Um, I know I've seen that one before. Um, I think there's a, it's, is it the Curse of Monkey Island that they reference in, um, Sea of Thieves? Yes. Or am I thinking? Yeah. Okay. They, they do. Yeah. Yes. They do reference it as an Easter egg in one of the Pirates of the Caribbean updates, uh, or updated tall, tall tales. So check that oh, out they too. Oh, made a whole tall tale. That's nice. It's it's definitely like something you find uh, a little thing, but it's nice they made it like a whole tall tale now. Well, no, no, it's not a whole tall tale. It's no. part of part of one of the whole the part tall, tall of tales. Okay. So you, I think you know. it's like the first or second of the series of Pirates of the Caribbean ones that you'll end uh, up getting to an island in the middle of nowhere where you run into a uh, bricked off section of that map. That has uh, Monkey Island stuff on it. So, a little Easter egg for you. Go ahead and check it out. It's pretty cool. Um, next, Duke Nukem 64. <laughs> I know you remember that one. I love that I, game. I absolutely remember that game. I played that game so much. That was like the knockoff 007 at the time. Yeah. But it was If you didn't have Duke Nukem uh, 64 Goldeneye. Like, what were you doing? Yeah, what were you doing during the 90s? Even I had it, and I was like seven years old. Yeah, I was absolutely playing those games, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another one was Colony Wars. Are you familiar with that one? Because I am I've not. heard of that. I don't think I'm really familiar with it. So I'm going to describe it. Uh, the gameplay is players fight in numerous space combat missions using one of seven pre-selected League of Free World Starfighters. Uh, the selection is due to League High Command's decisions for efficiency in every given mission. Each starfighter carries a certain combination of energy weapons, missiles, or torpedoes. Very interesting. Yeah, release date for North America was October 31st, 1997. Uh, it was released a week later in Japan, uh, not Japan, European Union, and then in Japan the very next year in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it must have done well because it was followed up by Colony Wars Vengeance and then Colony Wars Red Sun. Must have been a big PlayStation game. Don't remember. <laughs> I've never heard of it. I probably yeah. never would have recognized it at all. It just wasn't one of those games I was playing. I was too busy playing Goldeneye and friggin' Duke Nukem. Exactly, exactly. So, and then the follow-up to Goldeneye, what was that one? Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies or something. Uh, I know. I think I played that one briefly, but it was absolutely not rememberable. Memorable. I remember them. I don't remember the gameplay for singular, but I do remember multiplayer for that game. It was just as good as Goldeneye. But it was updated graphics, and you had a few more choices. It was awesome. Um, So yeah, that's, that's it for video game history. Let's move on to TV and movie history. Um, TV history, there's only one thing of note, and it's because I remember it so hard. Uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella came out on television uh, a few days after this was released. Uh, that's the Cinderella movie with Brandy. Do you remember I that I have to say, uh, I re- I've seen it at least once, but it's definitely not the one I think of when I think of Cinderella. It's Brandy and Whitney Houston, so I mean, nice. I, I, it, sure, I get it. <laughs> they were both big at the time. Um, Whitney Houston played the fairy godmother. Brandy played Cinderella. Uh, I, I don't remember any of the other actors in the entire movie because who cares? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was pretty good. Uh, I bet nobody really remembers Brandy. Um, in fact, no. I don't even know if she's done anything in a God knows how long. Let's see if uh, we can find anything. Is she on? I think she might have been on um, uh, that singing show where they guess about the masks. Oh, that one? Um, yes. The mask? The mask, yes. The mask. I guess she's had problems with the last couple of her albums, and so she started her own label. I don't know, man. It. I don't think R&B is really a big thing right now. So. She's and, on a show called Queens. Ah. Nope, never heard of it. So I don't think she's making a comeback anytime soon. Sorry, Brandy. R.I.P. to your career. Um, I did love that uh, like summer song that came out from Brandy. So, you know, she'll live on. Sure. In us. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Let's move on to movies. Movies. Other than the Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella, uh, which was a TV movie. Uh, movies for that. Um, date. Red Corner with Richard Gere and Switchback. I haven't heard of any of those. Nah, neither of them seemed like movies I would have been into at all, even as I gotten older. Just not the type of movie I would have gotten into at all. So I, I, I don't know them. If you know them, let us know if they're any good, because I'm not going to waste my time at this point for a 25-year-old movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> So uh, that's it for movies, TV, and video game history. 
Let's get some written and directed by credits here. So the writer for this episode was Robert C. Cooper. For those who don't know or who haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, Robert C. Cooper is the uh, co-creator with Brad Wright for Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. Uh, he goes on to write many credits on Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe. Um, this is the third of many episodes that he has uh, done for SG-1. Uh, the last one that we saw was The Torment of Tantalus. No. Yes. He's the one who came yeah. up with the Ancients storyline and the four races. So he's the one okay. who was sort of responsible for what happens in Stargate Atlantis. He was really the, the big brain behind that one besides Brad Wright. Uh, the director, Mario Azapardi. We know Mario as a party. This is the fourth of his five SG-1 directing credits. Um, he'll go on to do some for S uh, Stargate Atlantis. Um, the last one that we saw was Bloodlines, which was a good episode. That one was where we get to learn a lot of Teok's backstory. So that's really good. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, I enjoyed that, that episode immensely. Mostly because it's Christopher Judge. We we love Christopher Judge. All right, so here, let's get into that synopsis. Sweet, sweet synopsis. Uh, synopsis brought to us by the Stargate Wiki, uh, stargate.fandom.com. Let's get into it. Um, SG-1 arrives on the planet Henka and learns that everyone, natives, and Stargate command personnel alike have died from a mysterious disease. They find a small child, Cassandra, the lone survivor, and then they take her back to Earth. They soon discover, however, that she has a heavy bomb implanted inside of her, uh, set to blow in a matter of hours, and removing it is completely impossible. What will they do? Ba -ba -ba. Ba -ba -ba. Cut that in. Future Kevin. Cut that in. <laughs> uh, um, some, the places, the characters, the planet. The planet, as we know, is called Henka. Um, it does have a license plate number. It is called. Okay, with that sweet license plate. PX eight nine eight seven. Oh baby! I know that's a good one. Um, aliens on this planet, all dead. All dead. So there's really no point. The entire planet. Well, I mean, do we know the entire planet's dead? They didn't get in a, a vehicle and fly all the way around. You know, it's a really good point that you bring that up because when you think about it, all of these planets, with some, with very few exceptions, all seem to congregate near or around the Stargate. So, I would say, with their level of development being agricultural agrarian or something like that I would say that they probably haven't branched out too far beyond the Stargate so yeah we could safely say with about 85% accuracy that probably everyone is dead yeah that makes sense Yeah. so with a certain degree of accuracy we can probably make that assumption but anyway uh, so all the Hankins are gone such a weird name but uh yeah. All the Hankins are gone. 
So there's really no need to talk about aliens. Um, the only other uh, alien we could talk about is the Goold who oversaw this planet, and that would be Nirti, whom I don't believe we've met just yet, but we will when they go into the Protected Planets Treaty negotiations between the Goa'uld, the Asgard, and uh, planet Earth, which won't happen until next season. So, prominent characters. Uh, obviously, the only prominent character in this one that we haven't seen before is Cassandra. Uh, Cassandra in this episode is played by Katie Stewart. Um, Katie Stewart actually went on to do quite a few things. Um, let's see here. One of the very first things that she did was Stargate SG-1. But she went on to do... <coughs> excuse me. Um, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Um, she's the man. Supernatural, apparently, she was in. Uh, the Returned, The 100, uh, Inconceivable, Charmed, Nancy Drew, Witch's Midnight. Um, she was in a series of unfortunate events on Netflix, but she was the stunts on that. She also did stunts oh, for okay. Altered Carbon as well. Interesting. So yeah, she's That's a bit really of a she's she's cool. done some acting, she's done some stunts. Pretty cool. Yeah, she did quite a lot actually, but she didn't do uh, any more of the episodes of Stargate SG One. Just so you know, it's a completely different actress when we see her again. <sighs> Spoiler alert: she doesn't die. Spoiler alert: she does not die. So. Let us get into the episode a little bit. Um, so SG-1 is leaving Stargate Command through the Stargate and uh, traveling to a planet called Hanka. Uh, SG-1, or sorry, SG-7 has established the uh, Douglas McLean Memorial Observatory. And SG-1 is now visiting in hopes of seeing a black hole. Uh... Captain Samantha Carter explains the black hole itself cannot be seen. Rather, they intend to watch the matter spinning towards the hole. Um, Daniel Jackson is surprised when Colonel O'Neill announces that this is called an accretion disk. <laughs> Carter mentions the telescope on the roof of O'Neill's house as proof that he knows a thing or two about astronomy. Astronomy. <laughs> astronomy. Astronomy. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, this is the, the very first episode we saw him watching the stars in the telescope. I don't know if you remember that at all. It was so long ago. Uh, vaguely. Yeah. It's like the, the first thing that we see is a bunch of army guys come out to his house and then convince him to come with them. And he's just sitting there watching in his telescope. So he knows the thing about astronomy. He says he doesn't, but he, you know, he does, he does. Um, so after walk after they walk through the gate, SG-1 finds the situation on the planet has changed. Uh, they run into the dead bodies of natives who have been killed and supposedly by a disease. Um, this causes them to put on their protective masks, which, when you think about it, I don't know how much 
those protective masks are going to do if they've already been exposed. I suppose it's just to prevent further exposure or if there's a chance that they couldn't be exposed, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's like, what if it's, what if it's not an airborne disease? What if it's a, a bloodborne or a waterborne disease? Well, I think that's exactly why they, they put on the mask because they don't know. Yeah. But what happens if they cut their hand and then they touch something? touch someone well i imagine that they would also try to avoid that it seems like all they really did was just put on a mask instead of like putting on gloves or something if they were really worried about quarantining that that's what pisses yeah, me i mean off they should have retreated bit. through the uh stargate and they should have immediately hazmat. put on a bunch of stuff i'm sure i'm sure what they should be doing is they should be uh Sending a message immediately back through the Stargate saying there's uh, shit going down. Send a quarantine team to shower us down and then we'll go through the Stargate together. And then they'll be quarantined again on the other side. You know, some sort of quarantine protocol. I don't know. Just seems prudent, wouldn't you think? Yeah. It's you just think me. at this point where they've experienced like, I think, three or four different illnesses they've experienced uh, enough they illnesses to say they like should that, have yeah. some sort of quarantine procedure uh in the event of exposure yeah no that old chestnut so anyway um the team begins searching the village and the observatory daniel and teal check the village while jack and sam check the observatory and find bodies of sg7 who are in exactly the same condition as the villagers they discovered earlier. Um, Jack and Sam struggle to grasp what's happening. Daniel and Teal'c arrive to see them, with Daniel breaking the news that everyone is dead. In typical Daniel, dramatic fashion. Um, what's the body count on Stargate personnel at this point? It's got to be pretty know. high. That's an entire team gone. SG7. Yeah. I don't know, but when you think about the vast amount of people that have actually died and the fact that they have to keep bringing in more, like they keep having to expose their top, their ultra top secret organization that even the president didn't know about, you know, kind of thing. Mm hmm. It's pretty. I mean, it's pretty impossible. Especially <coughs> especially those conspiracy theorists who think that the uh, moon landing was faked. And that, can you imagine, do you know how many people um, worked on that moon project? Must have been thousands. thousands. There's, there's no thousands. way that thousands of people couldn't keep that secret. Or could keep that secret. It would have been exposed by now. But all we've yeah. got are these nut jobs who think that uh, it's just not real. So, you know, those people. Um, uh, Dr. Janet Fraser explains the complex has been decontaminated after a certain amount of time. Carter wants to leave the compound and search for survivors, but Fraser insists the team be examined immediately. Uh, because O'Neill touched the body first, 
Um, he's the first one to be examined. Um, after being you examined, know, he's just like um, David in Prometheus, where he's just touch, 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 and everything. Yeah, like, like I said, that they don't really, they don't really take it seriously. Like the worst things they could possibly run into are not the ghouls. The worst things they could run into are like some sort of virus that's three times as difficult to stop as AIDS, which could wipe out the entire planet. Like that's the most. But they never really, they never actually mention whether or not the Stargate reconfigures all of that. You would think that they would put in some sort of protocol to filter out, um, sorry, filter out like parasites or something like the Star Trek, um, transporter has like disease filters where it checks for diseases or parasites that aren't supposed to be there and they filter them out and don't reassemble you with them. You know, you would think the ancients would be a little smart, smarter than that. They got important shit to do, Kev. They got <laughs> to build stargates. Oh, damn it. Um, after being examined and then released by Fraser, the team begins searching for and tagging the bodies. Uh, Daniel begins the scene by talking about what information they've received from the natives three months earlier when the SGC's team first went to the planet. Um, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, the natives had said that the with the darkness would come the apocalypse. Daniel appears to believe it was in part fault of the Earth people that they died. Uh, they insisted that it was merely a myth. The darkness was merely an astrological phenomenon. So, Daniel is starting to drink the Kool-Aid, unfortunately. Um, the subject is dropped when they find their first bodies, and Carter tags one. She sees that someone's in the bushes, uh, removing the tags, uh, believing the person is scared by their protective outfits. Uh, O'Neill tells Teal'c, not wearing the protective suit, since the symbiote will protect him, um, to try and look friendly. Get the survivor to come out from hiding. Uh, Teal'c manages to convince the person in the bushes, and they see that it's just a young girl. Um... The team brings her back to the complex for Fraser to examine. Um, Carter attempts communication with this girl, but she does not respond. Um, Fraser calls Carter over and informs her that while not infected, the girl has traces of Naquita. Perhaps the reason she was able to resist the infection. I don't and think what's Naquita. Naquita is what the Stargate is made out of. It's the material that the gold constantly cause everyone to dig up for them. Nice. Because basically it's the thing that powers their technology. Um, they have trace amounts of it in their blood. I don't think that this has been mentioned just yet. But you'll find out that the reason their technology works only for them is because they have Naquita in their blood. So it's basically like a safety mechanism instead of like a biological component they're using a um, supplemental bodily component as a two-factor kind of thing you know 
Yeah, yeah. It's essentially a better, like, fingerprint reader. Yeah. Although a biological component would be better. This works, too. We will find out that uh, the ancients have their own version of, of this, but they don't use Naquita. They do use a biological component. Um, Fraser ends up brief. Mysterious. Yeah, it's already mysterious. Well, they use like a, a gene. Uh, you could consider it an X gene, if you will. They've, uh, they superimposed a gene into themselves that only allows them to work their technology and nobody else. Uh, but because they come to Earth and they interbreed with um, early humans, uh, we end up having the gene far into the future. So we're able to work their technology, whereas others aren't unable to. Ooh, crazy. I know. Um, Fraser briefs the team on the problem. The area's water and the ground have been contaminated. Um, none of SG-1 was positive. Uh, Carter attempts to convince O'Neill to allow the team to stay and observe the eclipse. The young survivor comes up from behind and hugs her. And O'Neill tells Carter she won't be staying, but that he and Teal will. Um, Carter returns to Earth with the girl, who appears amazed and intimidated by said gate room. She takes the girl to the room where she will be staying. And while at SGC, Carter attempts to leave, um, assuring the girl. So the girl ends up being... Um, really attached to Carter, which is interesting because, you know, this is the first we've seen of Carter having any sort of affection toward anybody, really. Um, sort of breaks down her walls, which is nice to see. Um, after meeting with uh, General George Hammond uh, and Daniel, Fraser explains that Earth may be indirectly responsible for the disease. Uh, she explains one of the teams may have brought a harmless bacteria to the planet. So they keep saying this, and it's like, why aren't we? Why aren't we keeping an eye on whether or not we could bring something that's really super infectious? You know, come on, people. Non-strategic thinking here. What is it, Ryan? It's a plot device. Plot device. Dropped a mic. Um, so she explains that a harmless bacteria could have been brought to the planet where it was uh, mutated into an infectious, deadly strain by some sort of foreign bacteria. Um, she explains that they may have brought back the cure as the young girl, for whatever reason, survived. Uh, she might have a natural immunity or something like that. So yeah, Carter, those immunities. So Carter, who stayed with the girl, appears to have decorated the room. Um, she used paints, um, illustrated, the, she illustrates the death all around her. Um, and then Carter attempts to uh, convince the girl she's not alone. So Carter paints herself into the picture as a stick figure. All right, Carter, get it together here. Good um, man, Carter. So, uh, after Carter tries to leave the room, the young girl grabs her arm again and speaking for the first time says, please don't go. Um, Carter learns the girl's name, finally. It's Cassandra. Uh, she complains of some pain, and then Dr. Frazier takes her and then discovers that the girl has a low potassium level. Um, she then suddenly collapses. Um, Frazier immediately tries helping. While listening to her heart, they find an unusual noise, and then they find during a chest x-ray 
that something has attached itself to Cassandra's heart. Um, the biopsy reveals that whatever it appears to be at least partly organic and has the ability to stop Cassandra's heart. Um, they end up analyzing it, finding that it's made mostly of Nequita, um, and it's made up of iron and potassium. Um, the microscopic amounts can create an explosion large enough to destroy a small room. However, the amount that's in her blood is enough to destroy part of a planet or large cities. Um, back well, on Inca. Suck. Yeah. So they've discovered that somebody has implanted this girl with some sort of device that is going to kill her and everyone around her. Uh, but back on Hanka, Teal'c and O'Neill are observing the black hole when they discover that a Goa'uld attack vessel, um, later to be called a Hatak vessel. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, it's all Egyptian-esque language, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, I, I know. It's just like, it, it. it's definitely one of those like TV things. It's like, what yeah. do they call this? It's a, well, it's an attack thing. It's a hotak. Oh, a hotak. Um, yes, hotak. Or if it means hot-talk. anything. I don't know. It looks like a giant friggin' um, pyramid, essentially. Um,. Oh, crap, I lost my spot. Give me a second. Give me a second. If it looks like a pyramid, then you're missing out because Destiny 2 has plenty of pyramids. So, like Destiny 2. Daniel and Carter speculate that Cassandra's being used involuntarily as a weapon, uh, as a means of destroying, at the very least, the SGC complex and Stargate. Um, Frazier also reveals the cellular dec- decay leaves them with only an hour and 52 minutes to solve the problem. While observing the, yeah, it's a very convenient plot point, right? Uh, While observing the attack vessel, Teal'c sees something leave the attack vessel. Uh, Looks like a couple of gliders are coming after them. Um, So back on Henka, Teal'c and O'Neill, who are running from the Gua'uld gliders. Teal'c explains to O'Neill that the Gua'uld Nirti had before used negotiations as a ploy to destroy opponents' stargates. So O'Neill realizes the girl is another one of Nirti's attempts to destroy the Stargate and the SGC. Um, thankfully, before the final chevron can be encoded as they attempt to take Cassandra away, uh, Teal completes the dialing sequence from Hanka to get them open on the Earth Stargate. So, as soon as they get through, Jack orders Cassandra to be taken as far away from the Stargate as possible. Uh, in the briefing room, Teal believes that if Cassandra goes through the Stargate, the gate will be destroyed, um, as well as a Stargate command. So, essentially what they do is they take Cassandra to an abandoned nuclear facility, and obviously Sam's reluctant of this. They take her all the way down to the 30th subfloor. Carter opens the vault where Cassandra must stay and tells her to rest there for a while, which is morally dubious in and of itself. You've taken this small, oh, yeah. no no older than 10 years old, 12 years old, somewhere in there, and you've thrown them into a vault. Now, if I were this kid, I'd be like, where the fuck are you going? And it's like, this is insane. Why are you leaving me here? We just came down 30 floors. 
and you're going to leave me here? She's like, I'll be right back. So they reach the 26th. Um, sorry, Carter reaches the 26th floor on her way back up and decides to change directions, heads back down to help Cassandra. Uh, Carter yells to O'Neill that she's staying despite his orders, and the time is reached, yet Cassandra does not explode. It's like it doesn't even say Colonel on his uniform. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, the... Uh, episode closes with Daniel Carter and Teal walking through a park with Cassandra and O'Neill carrying a dog, specifically a Shiba Inu, um, tells Cassandra that every child needs a dog on Earth. That's a rule. So, Cassandra gets, you know, all that, plus she gets a new identity and gets to live the rest of her days on Earth. Uh, specifically being adopted by Dr. Janet Fraser, Which is pretty cool. So, you can see how morally dubious this particular episode was. Um, it really shows how fucked up the gold are without getting so dark that it can't be shown on um, television. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is definitely like something that probably wouldn't have been shown on, uh, you know, public access or... Uh, network television because yeah. it's it, at the time uh, it just would have been like not not doable it would have been far too out there plot point wise but this was showtime so they could go as get as morally dubious as they chose to be <laughs> but yeah. overall pretty good episode i liked it um it yeah really... yeah this was definitely a solid one for the overall story arc, this really shows how fucking morally corrupt the Go Old really are. Like you get yeah, you get the cartoonish before. you get the cartoonish supervillain vibe from them. This really shows that they're willing to do just about anything to human beings. They really yeah, as could long not as it give solidifies a shit. their power, they don't care. Yeah, they could not give a shit. So this was a good episode for that. Um, some interesting stuff. This is the first episode, sorry, fun facts, I should say. This is the first episode when Nakwada is identified by name, uh, which ah. is that's good. It'll go on to be a pretty important player in how, uh, the SGC and Stargate program make their way into the stars at some point in the future. Um, this is the first episode to show the exterior of a Hatak class go old attack vessel um, the Douglas McLean Memorial Observatory on Hanka was actually named for Doug McLean uh, who was an art director for the show oh very nice uh, the Hankins were named after the MGM studio executive Hank Cohen <laughs> <laughs> And the scenes at the storage facility 68 were shot at Grandview Substation. Scenes at Hanka were shot at Brunswick Point Farm. Pretty cool. Pretty very cool. Neat, very neat. Um, one of the funny goofs, which I actually noticed in the in the show, what happened at the end. Uh, if you watch the very end of the episode, uh, Michael Shanks or Daniel Jackson. He goes to sit down on the bench, 
you can actually see the transmitter for his microphone on his belt. Um, uh. According to uh, according to this on the DVD version, it happens at about forty minutes twenty three seconds, but I think it happens between forty minutes fifteen seconds and forty minutes thirty seconds. So just keep an eye out if you ever decide to go rewatch it. It's kind of, it's it's really funny because that's one of those things you just never see, but it's so quick you got to keep an eye out for it. Um. As far as rewatchability there, Ryan, how did you feel on this one? I would say I rate this one a little bit lower. Uh, I would say probably a three. I would say probably right. There's not a whole lot going on here. I, I'd go with three, 3.5, somewhere in there. The episode's solid, but it can probably be skipped. There's nothing of any real importance. Like, yeah, you don't have no to watch this episode to know anything about Cassandra. Stuff. Cassandra really doesn't play a huge role at all. Like, she shows up as, like, a secondary character. That's about it. Uh, Nirti comes back. Uh, this isn't going to destroy your uh, observation of what Nakwata is. You're going to find out eventually. This just happens to name it, or given a name. So yeah, it's three. Three is a pretty solid one to give it. Um, that's that's all we got, bud. Yeah, that's all we yeah. got. So we really appreciate you guys keeping an eye, being patient, listening to all of our stuff. Um, keep an eye out for all of our fanspiracy theories, comic book Fridays, and Stargate Sundays. Um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook at Seven Days to RSG. Um, and we wish you seven days to Rock and Stone, Guardians. Rock and Stone. Later, everybody. Later.